um, all of that just to say um, that, you know, I'm here, I'm there, uh, I'm everywhere. Oh, yes. Welcome to the Foreign War Podcast, a look into the lives of expats, repats, TCKs, and everyone in between. Today, we'll hear the buttery voice of Akua Naru, the enigmatic MC bringing black music all around the world. For those of y'all waiting for hip hop, she's here. Yo, my name is Akua Naru. What, what do I do? Hmm, I mean... I'm a chronicler of the black experience through music, through poetry. I see myself as a romantic, lyrical writer within the hip-hop tradition. I do quite a few things. And very simply, because it's about people living abroad, where do you live? Uh, I can't really answer that. There, I could tell you when we get off the recording, I could tell you why, but I can't really answer that. Like, um, I live in Europe. For me, I think it's always a very complicated answer when people are like, what do you do? And where are you? Because <laughs> it takes a long time to explain. And people just like simplicity. They like simple answers and they like to put you in boxes and they like to just have, you know, an image come up in their mind so that they can be done with thinking deeply about you, I, I think. Um, do you want to just like take it way back? <laughs> way back. Wait, take it back to where we taking it to? Well, you said way back. I mean, where we going? <laughs> take it way back and ask, where are you from originally? I'm from New Haven, Connecticut. And what's that place like? Yo, I could say New Haven. And um, first of all, New Haven has some of the best food in the country. Anyone from New Haven will tell you that. Um, New Haven is an all black city. Uh, I would say it's the most African-American city in New England, for sure. So the city is not that diverse. Um, so I grew up, you know, in a black community. I grew up in a church um, and um, in a loving, supportive family who, you know, was behind whatever crazy ideas I had then and, and now. They bought it even to this day. Um, you know, and yeah, I just always love to write. I love to read. Uh, I was a church girl, so my grandmother had a lot of influence and still does. And, um, at our church, women, black women, um, had, had all types of power. You know, we do, we ran things. We still do. So it was like, you know, I didn't. There were a lot of things that I was protected from growing up. I think my family was like, okay, we can do what we want to do. And, you know, all these things that existed, that exist living within a white supremacist, imperialist, capitalist, patriarchy, these things are very real. But in my house, I didn't feel them until I can't, until I went outside, you know. There are people who work in New in Connecticut and go, I mean, I'm sorry, work in the city. We say the city when we're talking about uh, New York City. You would, you know, work in Connecticut and take the train 
um, to the city. Um, you know, on the weekends you would go there or we would have family there or we would go several days a week, you know, in the summertime to eat, um, seafood on city Island or whatever. So, I mean, New York is kind of like for us right there, you know, it's, right. it depends on how fast, uh, you drive. I mean, <laughs> there was a time in which, you know, like if it was late and it wasn't, traffic and you were you know young and dumb and out here wilding with your friends you know we can get to manhattan in like an hour and 15 minutes you know what i mean like it just depends i mean the bronx is like uh from my mother's house it's about it's about an hour you know um and you were brought up by grandma and and the church and and this community that is exactly the same right now what's different about it's not exactly the same because people grow and what's different about it that's a good question like coming back and being there i don't um i mean everything because when you're when you were a kid what seems so big you know today feels so small mm-hmm. you know um you know it's the parts of the city are obviously more gentrified and I mean, also, I guess, you know, your network changes, like when you grow and you, you move away from where the place where you was raised, like your relationship to the city changes. I mean, sometimes, for example, when I'm in the city, I can't remember the names of the streets anymore. And like my mother would be like right over there on near Welly Avenue and this street. And I'd be like, where ma? what? What's, I, I have to like go on Google and be like, oh, I know where it is, but I can't re- I can't remember the names. And, you know, when you're young and people who were close friends of yours, you know, they're they were in the neighborhood. But people now I have friends that move. They live in L.A. You know, they live in Atlanta. Or they might live in London. And so um, it's your idea of, of community changes, you know. Um, it would, it would be different if I were to had just like never moved, just stayed there. And, and I'm, you know what I mean? So, and also I think I'm, it's not really about the place that changed. It's just, I've changed. So then my perspective and my relationship to the, to the place changes, uh, as I change. When you were growing up, did you ever imagine yourself living abroad? No, Never. Did you have a curiosity about like any particular country and you like daydreamed once? Like, did you ever think China would be kind of cool? Um, I, don't, I mean, I think as a little black girl, I thought a lot about Africa, you know, the African continent and knowing that it's a beautiful place. And I just want to, I just always, you know, I don't know if I I would I don't know if I would be honest by if if it's honest for me to say that like um, I daydreamed you know and like this constantly day in and day out I don't know um, but I know that in my heart you know I wanted I was I'm always I've always been a very curious interested person about the world so for me I just want to I just would like to go anywhere even to this day, like anywhere that I haven't been just to see it for the first time with my own eyes, like just to, just to taste something, just to touch something from the place and then, and then go back home. And I remember like when I was young, sometimes I would just like, if I was walking home from school, I would try to walk a different way. 
just to try to find a way to get there. Sometimes instead of going through the front door in my house, I would go through the window just to do something different until one time my mom thought somebody was coming through the window. <laughs> she was like, come with a room, like, ah! And I was like, mommy, it's me. It's me. Like, she was like, I'm just trying this out. I'm just trying to do something different. My mother could not, she probably won't. But I, when I get off this call, I'm going to call her and ask her if she remembers. Like, she was so upset. Like, what my mother could not understand. But I think for me, I just, I want to do something different. I want to, you know, I will, I've always walked down the street in this way. But if I went around a corner, what would that, how maybe I could I get there five minutes earlier or, you know, what are the trees like on the next street parallel to this one? Like, and um, I don't know. I mean, I know that I had a lot of questions around, you know, heritage and just thinking about us as black people and and the fact that we, you know, come from Africa and, and trying to understand what that means and. So, of course, I always imagined and like, you know, when I when I was able to, that I would go to Africa somewhere just to see anywhere on this continent somewhere. Um, But I've I've always been someone who, you know, I just want to I just want to see. I'm still that way. Like, I just want to go just to see. There were times when I would get my I would convince my friends you know, I'd be like a teenager. I'll get in the car and my mom had to get off work at a certain time. So I had to pick her up at a certain time. And I would like get in the car and convince my friends, like, let's drive up to Vermont. <laughs> like, let's drive to Providence. You know what I mean? Let's go to this, like, let's go somewhere. I don't know. Like, let's just drive north. And I'm like driving north, nowhere, nowhere, no idea where the hell I'm going, but I'm driving. You know, I just, I just like travel. You, the way you think of traveling is a, travel is a, is one of the greatest teachers. I feel free, you know, when I'm able to move. And, and Akua is talking to me after like at least 10 years of not seeing me. Like we were, we have never met each other in our own home country. Mm-mm. Well, we have two continents. But that's coming, but that's coming. This is about yeah. to be, you know, we're about to have a third continent. Yeah, so I met you in Chengdu in like 2006. Why were you in China? How did you get there? To be honest, I can't. Like today, I would be like, oh, because it is that. I don't know if I read, I mean, I just, I, it was the same spirit. Like I wanted to just go and travel. I had went gone the year before with like a team, a group of people and I was doing research and I had traveled the entire country. I was, I was doing research on different like um, schools, different, you know, like the ways in which education is organized and various um, literacy practice, educational practices across the country. And then when I got there, um, I just, I was like, wow, this is so different. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, it's, this is another world for real. Like I mm-hmm. had not, I mean, it's not, it wasn't like going from New York to LA, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? It, I mean, now that I look back, it's not even going like going from, you know, New York to, to Paris. Mm-hmm. It was a, it's an opportunity for me to to learn. 
And why did you pick Chengdu? Because when I can, when I went there the year before, the it was peach season. Can you remember okay. the peaches? It would be like the smell. Like first of all, I was I moved to this little town called Yangguanqin, which is outside of Chengdu, okay. and there were these trees. Like they, first of all, I love hot peppers and Sichuan province. Mm-hmm. Like everything is spicy hot. The food was amazing. Like Chinese food in China is some of the best food in the world. Like from region to region, you know. And so the food was outstanding because, uh, again, at the time, then just like now, I don't eat meat. So it was wonderful because there's all these different vegetarian options, which are, mm-hmm. was just not even a thing. It's just, you know, it's not like you need to ask for a vegetarian menu or you need to hope that you could find yourself there. Like it's definitely, it's just is what it is. That's just how it was. Mm-hmm. So I like the food. Um, and the fact that everything was spicy. And for me, I love hot peppers. I eat spicy food, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And, but really it was the peaches. Uh, it sounds so superficial and silly, but. No, it's super romantic. It's That's so like- sweet. Like I remember waking up in the morning and the smell of the peaches, the ripe peaches on the trees would wake me up in the morning. And I remember how 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 the birds would sing, and it was just, it was beautiful. And so, you know, and I felt somehow connected, like there, I just felt good there. You know what I mean? I just felt good there, so I stayed. And then I met some dope people, like, then it was easy, like, you know, to meet, like, a community of people from all over the world, Led by a beautiful spirit, an amazing man named Tenzin. Tenzin, like he was an MC. He passed away. That's why I just want to shout him out. And he's somebody, you know, you know, people come into your life and like there are some moments. And I mean, I don't want to go too deep because people say when we start talking spirituality, I start going too deep and I start going, I start going all the way somewhere else. And people will have their mouths on the floor like, sis, Wow. <laughs> Where are you? Come back, come back, sis. Come back to this world. So I'm, I'm gonna try not to go too far left, but or right. But there are some moments in our lives where, like, if we only when we look back can we truly see how powerful a specific moment was in shaping everything else, right? So, like, let's say, um, there was a time where I was living like in Philly. And that from that period, you know, I went to China, right? And had I not been in the Philadelphia area, I wouldn't have gone to China. You know what I mean? So, like, there are these moments in in our lives that things change. And had had those moments not have happened to shift our lives in specific and particular ways, we would be completely different. You know, and sometimes there are people in those in those moments that shepherd us through. And it's like those people are so important because of the fact that we need to get wherever, you know, wherever God is or source or whatever, you know, whoever is listening, whatever you call it. But there is a divine intelligence. There's something operating in Tenzin 
was someone who was operating. <laughs> he was an operator. That brother was an operator. And he was someone who I met at that time and, you know, um, shifted things. My life was shifted for permanent forever. You know, sometimes like you're in the middle of a life change. We don't even know it. We just in it. You know what I mean? This motherfucker just came through and changed your life, sis. <laughs> this sister came through and changed your life. And you don't even know. It takes you 10 years to look back and be like, wow, my life was changed. Like my everything shifted. I met an operator. <laughs> Okay, so you accomplished your dream and went to Africa for the first time? First time was 2008, I think. Okay. And where did you go? Uh, Nigeria, Ghana. I mean, I've been uh, quite a few places there. But the first time I went, I, was, I went to Nigeria. So you went to Nigeria and then right now you have four albums. Yes. And how many videos do you have out? I, I don't know. I would have to think. So there's two that I see uh, made it. And then my mother's daughter. That was off the Blackest Joy album, the last album that came out two years ago. And that, those were filmed where? In uh, Togo, in West Africa. How easy was it to like go to Togo, find your resources? No, because I was working with, I had, I have friends. Like you know, just through traveling and touring, you meet people. Then you go back to the place for whatever, or you know, just developing relationships. So I have friends all over. So I had a production team um, in Togo, so the Togolese production team. Shout out to my brother Elon Vince, who's an MC and also a, one of my best friends. And he and a woman named um, Jaina worked together to produce the video with me. So basically, the ideas I had for my mother's daughter, I literally drew them by hand. And we had been in conversation for weeks about how we were going to do this. So I flew like. Um, into Togo with a team, but altogether we were four or four people and we got down there and pretty much all the organizational work was, most of it was done before we got down there. And who, who are the faces in, in oh, just friends, just, just friends, friends of mine, friends of friends, friends of some of the friends of my friends, you know, um, just people. Just dancing, just like... Yeah, some of them, like, in the Made yeah. It videos, some of those shots, a lot of those shots was, like, um, random, like, sort of candid. Um, but, you know, um, but that video, I mean, the My Mother's Daughter video was much more planned. I wanted to do the Made It, made it video, and we wanted to be a little bit more relaxed and uh, and much easier. So in the My Mother's Daughter video, we had all of these scenes that we need to shoot, and those scenes were very specifically arranged and advanced. So we knew what we were looking for, you know, um, before we even started filming. 
And so people were like cast to be in it. Um, and the people came through and supported the project like tremendously. It was, it was really beautiful. And I mean, at the end of Made It, we just do a party at the end to celebrate everyone who came and supported the project. And so that was like a real party. And I mean, but I, but it was also a music video. We like partied until, you know, until the sun came up, basically. It was awesome. And did you think when you wrote the song that you were going to shoot the video in Togo? No, when I recorded the music, I didn't. I didn't even have the when we recorded the video I didn't even have the word the lyrics all I had was the beginning of the song where it came to me and I said my mother's daughter she was born on a Wednesday bloodline of king solid gold rings and kente like that's all I had I only had two bars so we recorded the whole video without even knowing the song I knew the song was called my mother's daughter and I knew the first two bars of the song but I hadn't even written the song you know, but it was, so that was crazy. It was just, all we heard was bum, dum, dum, bum, dum, dum. I was still producing the music. It was instrumental, but I had already, I had basically wrote, you know, had drawn these ideas and I knew I wanted it to be spiritual and deep. And I wanted to, it to have to do with genetic and collective and cultural memory. And, you know, um, I wanted it to have, to do with, you know, um, obviously, you know, my West African heritage and I wanted to it to involve, you know, gener be like something that makes you think about generational inheritance and um, epigenetics and, you know, all of these things. So, but no, I didn't, the lyrics didn't come until uh, after we recorded the video. <laughs> So uh, made it, I had the lyrics. So made it was written and recorded, obviously, or I wouldn't have been able to rap them. After, you know, having done My Mother's Daughter and how we recorded both of those videos within like a week together, like at the same time. So, but we recorded My Mother's Daughter first. And after that, we were so, everybody was so exhausted that we said we'll take two days and film made it. It's gorgeous. Thank it's gorgeous. You. Thank you. I'm very proud of it. It was a lot of work. It was a lot of work. And a lot of people telling me what wasn't possible, you know. Shout out to all my niggas that died laughing. This one's for y'all to give me y'all guns when y'all cracking up. My mama been posted left church, yet she's still talking. Say. Whoever made that sweet potato pie, girl, you put in that word. But you left Tendu to go where? Germany. Because? Again, like I'm somebody where I love to travel and the, the adventure of the thing. Like, I don't know if today I'd be willing to just jump up and go somewhere. Like, I've never been to New Zealand, for example. So, like, if I could just pack up and bounce and be up in New Zealand like what's up I don't know I mean I might you know what I'm saying I might you feel me but 
I think there was a time when I was just like, yo, but okay, yeah. And so I just, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, that simple. Like, I, yeah, cool. Yeah, word. That's all right. Yeah. Somebody would be like, let's go to Russia. And it's like, all right, yeah. All right. Uh, what time? What time are we going? I don't think you really understand what it means. You know, what it means to be in a place when you just on the vibe, like, all right, yeah. <laughs> That's the vibe. Like, I'm just like, all right, yeah, cool, back. So I was on the vibe, like, all right, yeah. So I just went. And, you know, also I met quite a few people that talked about Europe and, like, what the music scene was. It's not necessarily Germany in particular, but what the vibe was like, you know what I mean? Just, I was like, all right, well, you know, yeah. <laughs> so, wait, 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 wait. Can I just wait? What brought you to Germany? What kept after? All right. Yeah. What, what kept yeah, you? Yeah, I was on the vibe like, all right, yeah. <laughs> just so silly, but it's so true. Like I was ready. You know, remember when Master P used to say, I'm about it. I was, I just, I just, I'm about it, about it. Like I'm about that life. And it's, I've always just been the type of person where I'm ready. But my mother is like that too. My mom is real ready. I'm, I'm discovering at this period of my life how much, um, I'm like my mother. <laughs> I think as I'm sorry. What are what's something that people maybe get wrong about Germany or Germans? Like what is something that completely surprised you? One thing that surprised me about Germany is that the the healthcare system and the way in which people are regarded in terms of the rights that you have as a human being to you know to um, wellness. And I feel like generally when you talk to people, they pretty much will agree. It's not like when you talk to people in the United States and they're like, no, you know, it's like I saw some people protesting. Was it last week? And they were like, we need to go back to work. People and they really in their minds think that people want to sit home and collect a check (laughs) and the whole stimulus payment you know, is um ordeal is about the fact that there are some Americans who just want to sit at home and collect a check. You know what I mean? I think that talking I'm talking about Americans. Americans. I'm saying yeah. that I can't speak for France because I don't know on an institutional level when it comes to like insurance and certain things in the way that I do about Germany. But I, one thing that did surprise me is that if you were to go to Germany, for example, and pay out of pocket for health, for a treatment, mm-hmm. that the cost would be so low. So let's say, you know, there was a person who went to the doctor for one thing, like the ambulance, a friend of mine had gotten hit by a car and the ambulance picked him up and he didn't have insurance and it cost him $6,000 just to go from wherever the incident happened to the hospital. Just the ambulance alone was six grand. And I'm saying like I'm in Germany, maybe maybe the city or the state would pay for that ride. Or if you had to pay out of pocket, it might be like forty dollars. So when you just see like when you from here, like here in this country to see how much, you know, money is being squeezed out of the average citizen, how much money people are making off of poor people. You know, 
uh, off of this pandemic, for example, off of uh, people in crisis and how people see that as an opportunity because we live in such a predatory capitalist state to where, you know, everything is can be bought and sold. Everything can be squeezed. We're going to squeeze blood out of this turnip right here, you know, because you know for the for the because the bottom line is these dollars one thing that did surprise me about germany is that i mean the culture is just different but and i'm not saying that cap there it's not a capitalist system but it's just you know i i the the uh, example of the ambulance is just a perfect example it's like when i was seeing when i was able to see what people would pay out of if they had to pay out of pocket if they didn't have health insurance to see how little they would have to pay compared to what someone in the united states would pay says that suggests that you know something like there are alternatives things could be a different way here you know and that being poor isn't always a death sentence. It makes people healthier in the long run. You know, people don't right. wait. Like, I absolutely am one of those people that'll be like, I'm just not going to go to the doctor. I'm just not going to. But, you know, every time I come back to the States, it's like, oh, you want to see me? It's going to be over a hundred bucks just to right. see a doctor. And I'm like, I don't really need to see you, I don't think. <laughs> so I won't. Right. Right, but that's what I'm saying. So now you have a culture of people who are afraid to go to the doctor because of the cost, which then ultimately leads to people being the general sort of wellness of a population being significantly lower than in other places because of the fact that they feel that they just know they can't afford it. So it's like if this is not fatal, why should I even put myself in this position if I can't afford it. So you uh, moved there and you started doing music or continue? Well, I've always done music. So, yeah, I've always done music, you know, since I was a little girl. So I just, you know, no matter where I was, it felt like, you know, some opportunity to record or to collaborate with other creative people would reveal itself. Even when I didn't feel like it or I wasn't looking for it you know it was just something that's always sort of chosen and followed me and how did you connect with people like how did you did people find you was there a Tenzin of Germany nah it's very easy I'm a black woman with um dreadlocks a black woman with locks who rhymes and who spits hot fire hot lava from the pits of the volcanoes black sands so if I just would show up and go to an open mic and just jump on the mic and blaze it people would know who I was very easily then news would be spread very easily and then people would be like oh we should do something you know or you know it was just it became at some point like when people and, and this is not necessarily just about me but you know, when people know what you can do is people are more, I mean, they want to work with you. They want to collaborate. Like, you know, when a person sings, if it's a good singer and they're like, wow, now you see what the person could do. It's just a conversation starter. Because when people think Germany, the first thing that comes to mind is not hip hop. And uh -huh. 
you went there and I feel like you also in your music you have a lot of influences of jazz and like more classical instruments like it's not just a beat machine and you on the mic like these are trained musicians that are backing you up what brought your art to that level like were you looking for that kind of music yeah so here's the thing i'm an artist so i'm not bound by germany or my experience in germany or whatever so it wasn't like you know i love music and the music that i love is always going to pour out so i didn't come out and be like oh it has a sound like this it has a sound like that i just want to rap and tell a a good story and i want to i want to raise the bar for what the the ways in which I could tell a profound story for myself. I want to tell an authentic experience, you know. I want to write to my at my absolute height about I love to write about love, sex, intimacy. For example, that's just one example. There are other things that obviously I'm write about, but and I think that that's what just what it was. Like I just want to create and I just happen to be, you know, in a in a position to where I started, you know, the more I started putting out music, the more people you meet, you know, I I mean, and also we talking about, I mean, me working professionally, I mean, this is like over a decade, this is like, let's say a decade, like if you think about the journey of flame came out 2011 until today. And probably when I started working on the journey of flame, we talking about, let's say over 10 years. And then from that album, I started um, I started working on a live album, which was this band uh, from some people that was living in Cologne. And um, some of them are still friends of mine to this day. And I still play with them to this day. And so at some point, my music started to become more and more live. And I don't think that was bound by a European experience. It was just me being in a place and connecting with people and developing relationships with people, meeting really cool people from all over the world. Because when I did the Miner's Canary, that was 2015, but I worked on that from 2013 to 2015. And that album, I recorded that in Zimbabwe. I recorded it in Paris and Belgium and Brazil. So there are people from all over. I think more rather than just saying like Germany, I think it's just me becoming more and more global in terms of my my sort of positionality in the world. Me becoming a a wider traveler, if that makes sense, having wider experiences across a larger span, building um, different connections and relationships across that um, across the world, and and just drawing on the music forms that I love. Did you find it difficult to connect? I know that you found connections, but to connect with who? To you know, did you find it difficult to connect with musicians and no. producers? No, um, it's more. It was more just about my music is so. It was more a question of my music is intentionally black. I mean, I'm saying I'm a black woman, so obviously, and that's such a beautiful positionality. It's a beautiful thing to be. So. My my music then centers that experience. 
So whether it's, you know, so-called jazz or soul or whatever, like that's always going to come out because of my background. We, we as black women, you know, as black people, we exist in a world that's operating to, or that's overcommitted to our extinction. You know, that's committed to our destruction. I mean, that's just the reality. So, and my music is always trying to navigate, you know, what does it mean to to be in this body? What does it mean to, to live in this world? How do I claim joy? How do I make sense of a past that operates in various ways in the present? What does that say about the future? And there are people who are not, able to deal with, you know, how painful that those truths are. You know, for me, it was just about the fact that this is my story or these are the stories of my people. Like it's going to be centered. And like, so people who can respect that and understand that these stories are being told because they didn't got to understand the story. They can't understand the story. You know what I'm saying? But there are people who must respect it. And so those people who respect it, you know, I didn't have problems working with them. What's the hardest thing about being a a professional musician? I think the hardest, yeah, I think the hardest thing is always funding and resources. If you're independent, I mean, and I'm not only, or just speaking about myself, I'm saying in general, because like, okay, we look at some artists and we'll be like looking at these mainstream artists and they put out a new body of work you know via some kind of visual expression like a video or whatever and we'll be like yo this person is a genius this is brilliant and it's like it is brilliant it's beautiful but you know I know people who are independent and like what do people do with with the minimum those people they definitely display a level of genius I mean there are people I know where they're not you know they're not supported by any institution. They don't have mainstream money. They they don't have corporate support, and yet, and still, they put like if you I could think of somebody in particular, like uh, if you look at Blitz, for example, Blitz the Ambassador. Like this brother raised money on Kickstarter and put out his first feature film. Like he was doing, I think he directed like three music videos, and he he's also an artist. Like he can draw beautifully. And he wrote this amazing story and put this um, movie out by raising money online. And his movie was nominated for a Golden Globe. So I'm saying that to say that that is genius. You know, the person who doesn't give up, who's committed to totally committed to their art, finds a way to make it happen despite every closed door says that this is going to happen, wills it into existence. Now we could look at the work and say it's beautiful or critique it or whatever, but the work is there. Oh. No, but I just wanted to make, this was the point I wanted to make that there is a place for art. And I think when we're growing up, you know, our parents want to tell us, no, you know, you got to go to college. You have to, you know, make money. You need to do this because they, they love you and they, they want to equip. They want you to be fully equipped to survive within this capitalist system. And I get it. But, you know, there is a space for art. There is, you know, a possibility for people to live as professional artists and to, um, and to thrive. You know, sometimes when we look at, the power of artistry and, you know, even at art itself, it's like as Americans, it's like we're so sort of like mainstream artists dominate 
you know, our sight, we're gazing at the stars that this is artistry. And so everything else, what is that then? To this, please, we, we're almost committed to overlooking and, and staying blinded in the midst of tremendous talent, in the midst of absolute beauty and brilliance, because this person didn't have a Grammy or this person didn't win an Emmy or an Tony or Oscar, or this person wasn't elevated by these corporate platforms, you know, and I think a lot of artists to go back to the artist, to go back to your question, I think a lot of artists, young artists, you know what I mean? Get caught up in that and start feeling like, well, how can I project myself there? Like if I'm not there, then where am I? Have you felt like, anxious or pressured or inspired to use more social media like Instagram, TikTok to perpetuate your music? Well, I have. Yeah. I mean, over the years, like we've independent artists, we've been reliant on social media and it's worked for us and it's changed the industry as we knew it, as we know it. Like it's changed everything. It has changed the game and created mad opportunities for so many of us in beautiful, beautiful ways. Um, but you know, these days I've been taking a break from social media. Um, you know, it's just like, it's, these spaces can also be toxic in the, when we're in the midst of something like this, you know, we're in a global pandemic where today, uh, Little Richard died and Andre Harrell and yesterday or the day before yesterday, it was the rap, the UK rapper Ty. And then a couple of days before that, it was Tony Allen. Like it's, and then in addition to, you know, family members and different people that we all know and love that maybe the world might not know. You know what I mean? I know several people who've lost loved ones and due to Corona to some coronavirus in this whole coronavirus season, you know, and also in addition to us having the absolute worst leadership at the absolute worst time. You know what I'm saying? that and then 30 plus million people unemployed and you know these people protesting um to go back to work as if it's a question of freedom when it's really about public health and safety i mean from my own head i needed to take a break so i don't i'm not i do i don't feel pressured because i feel like i've done a lot so if i want to uh, be on social media or not, like I'm able to do that. I don't, at this period of my life, I'm not pressured to do any, anything, but I do feel like it's nice to engage community. And the beauty of this internet space is, is that, you know, a lot of creatives have these creatives, um, black creatives in particular have really lifted us up in the, in these moments through DJing, through these versus battles, through, and, and it's really sort of revolutionized the way in which the internet is used to build communities online, uh, in this, in these, in this most, you know, bleak and dire of times. I just, what, how do you make that into a structured thing? How do you execute? You know, currently, how how are you keeping your head? I know for me, I get so distracted by the news and by other people. And like isolation has really made me realize that I have been distracting myself from a lot of deep shit for a long time and have been layering, layering on information and feelings and just not processing a bunch of shit. So are you 
making this time into art? I think it's important for us right now to be compassionate with ourselves as we pray for humanity. I'm praying for humanity right now and accepting that this is also a grieving process because life as we know it, it has been changed forever. And, you know, nothing like this of this magnitude has happened in the last hundred years. This is, you know, and once we get out of this, I mean, I, I cannot imagine that people will be able to travel in the way that we know you know, in the way that we're used to in within the next year until they have a vaccine for this thing, you know, even the way that we interact with people, you know, in public space is, is you know, I saw someone cough and people just like disappeared like ro- roaches when the lights was turned off. It was like very interesting. Um, you know, I was in a park walking and just the way that we now in, uh, engage space and each other, I guess we'll see what, you know, what this all means. And, um, you know, time is going to tell this tale, but in the meantime, you know, death is out here looking and collecting bodies. Death is out here. And, um, and it, that's makes me very sad. For those that served us, let their blood not spill in vain. Those among us keep them covered as I whisper the name. Malcolm, Martin, Garvey, Carver, Molly, Shakur, Nash, Newton, Chisholm, Hamer, Hampton Hill, Abu Jamal, Desilene's Christoph, Louverture, Simone, McCabe, Mandela, Ali, Shabazz, Lord, Cesar, Fanon, Monk, Coltrane, Hall, Gillespie, Clifton, Williams, Ajay, Bay, Henry Clark, Rustin, Belafonte, Cabral, Scott, Harris, Ankara, Nkrumah, Torrey, Molly, Wilcott, Blighted, Baraka, Turner, Tubman, Tuma, Vessie, Truth, Shoyan Ka, Lamuba, Karima, Sarawiwa, Chris Wilson, Du Bois, Hurston Hughes, Locke, Farrakhan, Biko, Bamba, Peyton Diop, Dunbar, Satiwa, Kuti, Select Wings, Morrison, Sinke, Sanchez, Douglas, Rationgo, Ellison, Poirier, Washington, Bay, Ben Davis, Holiday, Duvernay, Ashe, 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 That's a good question. Home, I I would never call it home. I would just say a base, but I mean, it's no disrespect to the place, but like where I'm, where my family is from will always be home to me. You know what I'm saying? So I never really felt in Europe like I, I still feel like a foreigner and it's not to say anything negative about it. It's just because of, I guess, from because of where I'm from. I mean, I met a lot of amazing people in Germany and other places around Europe who who are just, you know, amazing and cool. And we have, you know, a good rapport to this day. But I wouldn't say that it's my home. You know what I mean? I do. I do. But I'm sure you could. Re- I'm sure you can relate to that more than anybody. Mm-hmm. No, that's why. When you come back to the States, how do you identify yourself in words? Um, I'm not thinking about myself to identify myself or to name or claim. Like, I, it just, I just am. I mean, of course, we can get philosophical and we do have to think about ourselves, but it's not like every day I'm sitting here focused on, you know, 
how my work is being read or received by the public or people out in the world and like what that means to them and what that means to me. Like I'm just living my life. So when I go to a place, sometimes I don't introduce myself. I just, you know, I just get up there and I'd be like, look, my name's Akua Nairu. And then I just, I just be like, my British friends say I'm wicked either. I'm evil, a lit with it. Funky as George Clinton, fruit punch locks, fresh twisted. Giovanni Eagle Trip Double Dutch Skipping Ride Flow So Intense You Need Pornhub To Fuck With It So Ever Get My Nose Stuck I Smell God Shitting I Just Get Up There And Do What I Do So I Don't Really Have To Like People Know If You Get Up And You Just Start Flowing People Know That You Be Flowing <laughs> You Be Spit So You Know What I Mean I Don't Know I Don't Think People Know Enough About What You Do You've lectured at Harvard, Oxford, Cornell, Princeton, Fordham, University of Cologne. What do you say on these lectures? What are you talking about? Oh, well, it depends on the lecture, but um, I'm working on a project right now, um, a theater piece. It's kind of like a musical. I can't really uh, talk about it publicly. But, um, I mean, I can, but it's just like, I'm, I want to wait until it's, I'm t- like Biggie said, time to get paid, blow up like the world trade, a born sinner, opposite of a winner. So I, I just want to wait until like I'm able to put the thing out where I can. But basically I talk, I mean, I talk about, um, women in hip hop. Um, I, I know quite a bit about our history in this in this as creators co-creators in this genre um i talk about you know feminism black feminism i talk about literature i talk about um art artistry i talk about writing um you know um whatever is the current state of affairs and what's happening in that particular moment you know current events um all kinds of things i've never seen you live which is sad kind of makes sense because I don't really see you (laughs) in person a lot but like you've done shows all over all over including all over these places where people maybe are not familiar with your story or you know your origins but also don't speak English (laughs) right so why do people that don't speak your language or don't really understand the words why do people come see you because the human experience is the human experience at the end of the day so people are going to connect in ways that they can't first of all because it's good music Mm -hmm. so there are people where i've heard where you don't even i mean there are some songs the song is not really about much sometimes the content is actually quite negative but you might um listen to it and like it because the beat is hot but you may feel conflicted because you feel like, damn, this this song is so misogynistic or this song is so stupid. It's just stupid. Like, what is this person talking about? This is ridiculous. But the music, the musicianship is at a level to where you it's catchy or you like it or whatever. So I think on one level, you know, people make people come to the music because here's the thing. People might embody the same experience and they also may not be able to climb inside whatever you create you know what i'm saying so i think there are people who they just recognize good music they may not know it they may like the sound of the voice or they may like the production or 
but they may not know exactly what this person is talking about, or they may not be able to understand the experience totally because their world is just completely different, but they understand from wherever they're coming from that it's important or that it's about suffering or that it's about loss or that it's about betrayal or that it's about love because at the, in, in essence, I mean, that's the human experience. Of course, you know, how you receive it, if you're talking about, you know, if you write a song about, um, you know, uh, another black person being murdered, you know, unarmed by police and you and your people who you're writing for, who are directly um, impacted by um by what's happening on the ground. Like when they feel it, of course that touches you and touches your heart and lifts you in ways that are indescribable. You know what I mean? I'm not, of course, you know what I mean? But I do think that there are people who are going to find a point of entry when it's into good music and God speaks to the hearts of, of people. So you don't even know to the extent in which this person may be touched by something you create. So I try not to be, um, I try to just like create and let it be. And I can't really sit and try to micromanage who's feeling it to what extent and how I just put it out there and let go, let it go and let God and let it live with people in the way that it is supposed to. For me, like at the time, at the moment that I'm there and I'm like out there, let's say in Romania and people are coming through like a thousand people, like for example, this tour now that got canceled because of Corona the tour was sold out. So it was like over a thousand people a night. Like it was Munich, Vienna, Bucharest, Berlin. I mean, it's not like for me in the moment, you know, of course, like I know who I'm writing for. I know what my music is about. Like I know what stories I'm telling, but at the end of the day, you know, we, we're all here up in here. So it's like, I don't, it's not like all these, when you say all these people from different places for me, it's not really like all these people from different places. It's just like, wow, all these people, period. That's a blessing. Regardless of what color they are, where they come from, what languages they speak. Like, I'm a, a, I was a little girl once, you know, writing, reading poems and, and, you know, you know, and I'm somebody who loves hip hop and loves the power of the spoken word and loves, the rhyme and loves the culture and to be able to go anywhere in this world and just off of my name and people come and show up like I don't it's just like wow look at all these people period that's amazing that's a gift so my people stuck in poverty all around the world all around the world to my people who be struggling all around the world all around the world to my people who be fatherless all around the world all around the world To my people who be suffering Suffering around hey, My ghetto children There you have it The mystery musician who speaks in rhyme and riddle Akua Naru Listen to her music as it contains Easter eggs Not revealed in this interview Check Akua's videos online Follow her socials And wherever you are Whatever you are Don't forget to support independent music this is for my people. 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 Say this is for my people. And this is for my people.
So here's the thing. You could grow up with people and, you know, there are things that you'll share with them. But as you grow and move about in this world, you find that when you go back to those people, it's hard to relate. So talking to you is nice because I just feel like I know you. I knew you. I know you. So I don't remember where or how, but you are known. Like if I see you in five years, if I see you in five minutes, it's, it's all good. You know what I'm saying? Like. There's love and uh, and respect there. So once you start traveling, you start meeting a culture of travelers. And you might be like, oh, the last time I saw you, we was in South Africa. Oh, yeah. And then you talking to that person like, oh, you know, I was just I was in Sudan. And then we went to Jamaica and then we was in New York. And people would think you sound like you bragging. But actually, in fact, you just recounting the actual real factual tell of the thing. This is what really happened. It's just it becomes so normal. And you almost sometimes forget how much of a privilege it is in the first place.